everybody. I'm Susie Hope, if you don't know who I am, and um, I'm just here to carry on um, our bits, our adventure into the um, Beatitudes and the next bit on the Falls on the Hill. So, so the journey so far. Um, so, Terry mentioned that we have a tendency to underestimate sin and God's holiness. Um, Elias then followed this up by talking about um, what being blessed is. It's to be happy and fortunate and blissful. Um, the Beatitudes are actually conditional blessings. Um, the kingdom of heaven is for those who recognize their spiritual destitution, and God will comfort those who mourn over their sin. So before I dive into this any further, I just kind of wanted to give us some context. So um, context to the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus actually is coming into um, a new world. He's, he's bringing in the kingdom of heaven. It's actually an invasion. And it's not the invasion that Jews were hoping for. They were hoping that Jesus, the Messiah, would turn up and kick out the Romans. But actually, Jesus came and invaded the kingdom of Satan. And in doing so, he was rescuing slaves of the kingdom of Satan and bringing them as citizens into the kingdom of heaven. Now, this started with Jesus being born, but actually the kingdom of heaven won't be fully unopposed until Jesus comes again. Um, as that's mentioned in Revelation, uh, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. But until then, we're living in the now and the not yet. So the bit where uh, the kingdom of heaven is here, but also the kingdom of Satan is here, and we're contending with them both. So Jesus, why do I bring this up? Well, because Jesus is coming to talk on the kingdom of uh, on the Mount, the sermon, giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about what it takes to become or, or what it takes to live as citizens of heaven. Um, so it's really important to understand that we are saved by faith. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. And actually, it's, it's really important that as we grow in our Christian faith, that actually we kind of have to learn how to culturally become citizens of heaven. We were citizens of the kingdom of saints, and now we're citizens of heaven, and that's a culture change. And actually, that's something we have to grow in and learn. Um, and in Galatians, um, Paul basically says, <clears throat> Christians are not supposed to be relying on self-righteousness. He says, do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And in Romans, he also talks about not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So basically, we are trying to learn to live as citizens of heaven. So with that in mind, let's have a look at the Beatitudes. So we're looking at chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 to 6. And he talks about, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what is meekness? It's not a word that we use very often, so I thought it was quite important to kind of define this. So meekness is to be submissive, gentle, and self-controlled. Inherit is to receive your allotted portion 
and the earth. Well, if we look back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, actually the earth was Adam and Eve's inheritance. Um, and they lost Eden. They lost paradise due to the fall. When they chose to live their way, not God's way, they lost their inheritance. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions around meekness because there are a lot of views in the world about what meekness means and uh, some of them I don't think are quite right. So I've um, got a t-shirt here. When I was at university, one of my really good friends loved sailing and she was in the sailing club and she had this t-shirt. It basically says, the meek shall inherit the earth, but the brave get the ocean. And uh, that's the attitude, isn't it? Well, you know, meek, they're cowards. They're the ones that get, you know, subjugated. They're the ones that are the more powerful, the strong and the brave, conquer and rule over. Um, but I would like to say, actually, that's probably not right. Actually, meekness is not weakness. So I think to kind of get an understanding of that, we have to look into the different bits, the different elements of what it is to be meek. So, meekness is about submission. Well, who are we submitting to? Well, if we look at Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross is a submission to God's will. Not the Pharisees, not Rome, but to God's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays and he says, Father, not as I will, but as you will. Um, if we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the book of Daniel, they refused to worship the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. They risked their lives. Why did they risk their lives for that? Well, because they were submitting to God's law against the worship of idols over man's law. And actually, sometimes to be meek and to submit yourself to God's law means actually being brave and standing up against sometimes man's law. So... Um, meekness also requires more bravery, not less. Um, I think we get a nice clear view of this with Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is getting arrested. Um, so Peter has a sword with him and when they turn up to arrest Jesus, he whips out his sword and cuts off a man's ear. And Jesus rebukes him and heals that man's ear. Um, and actually, Peter doesn't know what to do. He ends up hanging back um, pretending not to be part of the disciples and denying that he even knows Jesus. Because actually, Peter had enough courage to fight for Jesus, but he didn't have enough courage at that moment to die for him. It requires more courage, not less. So, let's talk about gentleness. Now, gentleness isn't the unempowered, the downtrodden. Actually, gentleness is about power controlled. Um, I think a good example of this is if you think about fire. So fire controlled is useful. Um, it cooks, it gives light, it gives heat, it gives protection. If you think what the human race has achieved because we worked out how to control fire, it's kind of mind-blowing. But fire out of control destroys. If you want to see an example of this, I think look at Joseph. Joseph is a great example. So Joseph was abused by his brothers. He was sold as a slave. He got um, falsely accused of rape and wound up in prison. 
for 20 years or so. Then finally, he gets out of prison and he winds up becoming the second most powerful person next to Pharaoh. Now, you've got to remember, at the time, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world. So Joseph is the second most powerful person in the world at that time. Now, his brothers end up coming to Egypt because there's a famine on. And they come to him. And, you know, Joseph could have sold them into slavery. He could have got his revenge. There's nothing stopping him doing that. But instead, he refuses to take God's position as judge and instead says, am I in the place of God? And he forgives them. He provides for them. He encourages them to bring their entire family to Egypt. So, gentleness, power controlled. Jesus is another good example of this. When he was arrested, he turns to his disciples and says that he could have called down 12 legions of angels. Now, I looked into this, how big is a legion? Well, a Roman legion is the, the largest unit of military, you know, the largest military units they have. It does vary in number, but it's literally thousands of soldiers. What Jesus is saying is he could have had a massive army of angels at his beck and call. Really, there is no way on earth that anybody could have made Jesus go to that cross if he wasn't willing to. At the end of the day, Jesus chose to lay down his life for us. Um, the other thing to note about Jesus is he's the only truly innocent person. And at his own trial, he's also a very competent speaker. And at his own trial, he, choose to, he chose not to speak up in his own self-defense. It's power controlled. So, what does meekness require then? Well, it requires recognizing who God is and recognizing who you are in him. When you recognize who God is, it's so much easier to trust him. You can trust him to be the just judge. You can trust in his promises because you know that God keeps his promises. That means you know there's treasure in heaven. You know that God is working in all things for the good of those who love him, which means you can face those tough, difficult, nightmarish situations. When you know who God is and you know who you are in God, it's easier to be brave. It's easier to be prepared to die to self, letting go of those futile attempts that we make to try and save ourselves. Submitting to God is difficult, it is, but it may mean, um, you know, not complying with culture. And self-control makes us useful, makes us powerful. Look what Jesus' self-control did. It changed the world, it changed all of us. Doing things God's way, not ours. That's what meekness means, doing it God's way. And the encouraging thing is that the meek inherit the earth. So Adam lost his inheritance because he wanted to do things his way. But when we choose to do things God's way, we get the inheritance. We get to inherit the earth. Right, moving on, let's go and look at righteousness now. So again, let's look at some definitions. Um, it talks about hungering and thirsting. What does that mean? Well, in this context, it's not I'm a bit peckish, I'm a tad thirsty. It is I'm starving. I am dying of thirst. 
Righteousness is being characterized by uprightness or morality. It's being in a right standing with God. It's being just. And it refers to all righteousness or all his righteousness, not just some righteousness. And then finally, satisfied. Um, means eating until you want no more, until you are replete, you're full, full to bursting. So given that this verse equates hunger and thirst and physical need with spiritual things, I thought I'd actually look at what the physical needs are around starving. So if you're starving, you have an all-consuming passion for food and water. It's a need that if it isn't met, you will eventually die. Um, and it's something that you're not going to satisfy with non-food. There's, there's no way that if a starving person comes along and you go, hey, look, I'm not going to give you any food, but I'll tell you what, I'll take you to this really nice concert and we can hear this amazingly beautiful music. You know what? It's not going to cut the mustard. So, um, and I think the other thing to think about is when you've eaten your favorite food, if you want to kind of understand what kind of being satisfied is, think about your favorite meal and how when you eat that and you're full and you love it and it satisfies you, but actually you find that you, you want to eat it again because it was so good. You just want to eat it again and you, you look forward to eating it again. And that's what it is to be, you know, to be hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. So the other thing to think about is out of desperation, if a starving person doesn't get food, they will try and eat anything. Um, I think a good example of this is the Great Famine in Ireland in uh, 1846, because people were so hungry, they were literally eating algae and moss off rocks. Um, the prodigal son, um, the story of the prodigal son kind of talks about this, and it talks about how he longed for pig food. And uh, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you will know that pigs are unclean. You don't touch them. They don't eat them. And actually, you know, pigs often were kept in other places um, and fed like the rubbish and the scraps and your leftovers. And actually, what this guy is saying here is he's so hungry that even the rubbish that you feed the pigs, he's desperate to eat. That's as low as you can go. Um, so what does it mean then to be starving for righteousness? Well, it means to have that all-consuming passion for the things of God. It means recognizing that our self-righteousness can't save us. We are doomed without Jesus' righteousness. Um, it's not being satisfied with counterfeit righteousness um, and virtual signaling. It's... Um, the encouraging thing is God promises to satisfy the, that spiritual hunger that we have, that longing for more. We come to him, then God is good and faithful and generous, and he will give you not just some, he's going to give you to your overflowing. Um, but the other thing is, if we don't go to God with our hunger, with our hunger and thirst, that actually we can turn to wrong things. Um, I've just got some examples here. So Lucifer or Satan, hungered for God's power. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, hungered for man's praise. 
And you know what? I, it's certainly one that I can struggle with. Um, the rich fool hungered for pleasure. So if you remember that story, that's the one where he built himself a barn and he stored up loads and he was like, I'm going to go for early retirement. I'm going to live a comfortable and well-fed life where I don't have to worry about anything. And you know, sometimes we can get distracted and chase other things, but actually it's not going to satisfy because we need God's righteousness. We need Jesus. So then finally, we'll look at the, the justice element of hungering and thirsting for justice. And actually, I thought a good way to do this is to actually compare what the world says is justice and what God says is justice. So the world says, I must look out for number one and seek justice for me. And God says, whoever wishes to be first must first be slave of all. The world says, you know, I should be focused on my rights being met. Well, God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The world says, when, the right, when my rights aren't met, I have a right to be resentful. But actually, God says, I should be practicing gratitude. The world says, when my rights aren't met, I have a right to seek justice and vengeance. But God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. The world says, you must change. But God says, we, change starts with me, that I have to take the plank out of my eye before I pick out the speck of my brother's. Right, so we've delved in deep into meekness and righteousness. I think it's quite good to take a step back now and to look at the kind of overview picture. Um, in fact, to all four verses of the Beatitudes, including the ones that obviously Elias talked about the other week. So if we look at verse 3, right, <coughs> what you kind of get when you look at the whole picture is you realise there's a process and actually every verse leads to the next verse. So looking at verse 3, um, we actually recognize our spiritual destitution. And that leads us to verse 4, mourning over our sin. And then that leads us to looking to God and humbly submitting to him, saying, not my will, your will. I get it wrong, not my will. And then verse 6 says, um, you know, that we're to seek to be more like Jesus, to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And you know what? That whole process is the process of sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And I just want to encourage you because obviously these things are really hard and you're all, you know, we fall off. We all fall off. And, um, but the encouraging thing is if you fall off at any point, it's okay. You just go back to verse 3 and you go back through that cycle. And if you remember... The hungering and thirsting for righteousness is all righteousness, all Jesus' righteousness. Well, there's no way in our lives that any one of us can fully attain that. No, it's the process that's important. It's the process of striving to be more like Jesus. And every time we fall down and we go back through this, we become a bit more like Jesus, a bit more like Jesus, just chipping it off. So it's not about never sinning. It's about how we respond when we do. I kind of actually want to give you a little story because God really challenged me on this while I was preparing for it. And actually, what kind of happened was um, 
Me and Elias had agreed that certain things need to happen, and I did my bit, and Elias didn't do his bit, and I got really resentful. I got really resentful. I did my bit. I did the right thing. He didn't do it. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not right. Anyway, then that resulted in me having a massive argument with him. And, um, and the thing is, I'm much quicker with words than Elias. I can, I can put together a good argument quite quickly, which means that I will win arguments quite often. But that doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I'm better with words. And uh, Ashley God challenged me. He's like, Susie, how self-righteous are you being? How, you know, you're being resentful. And what's more, Susie, you took the gift of speech that I gave you, the power that I had, and instead of building up and encouraging your husband, you used it to tear him down. And actually, I had to go back through and I had to do this process. And, you know, you know, that's life. That's life. We will fall off. We will struggle. But God is good. So, let's do the Beatitudes one more time. And this time I've got the Amplified Version to make it nice and clear. So, Matthew 5, verse 5 to 6. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect, are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed, joyfully nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek a right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. You see, submitting my way to God's way frees us to live as citizens of the kingdom. So, I'm going to leave you there with a few questions. Are you living like a slave of this world or a citizen of heaven? Do you, what do you hunger and thirst for? Is there any areas where you could grow in self-control? And is there anything you need to submit to God? Am I pursuing God's way or our culture's way? Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with a prayer there. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you say when we come to you and we want to have a right relationship with you, that you hold nothing back. You meet us and you satisfy us. And you're so good that you leave us longing for more. Thank you that when we submit to you, that you free us more and you make us more like Jesus. So Father, we just want to come before you and we want to say, not my will be done, Lord, but your will.